we want to we want to welcome you this morning. If you're brand new, we do have. A, feel free to fill out a card. This is a way we get to know you. Um, but next week we're starting our Advent series, and what we are doing is we celebrate the and anticipate the coming King. That's what Advent is. We we're looking forward. How many of you like looking forward to things like holidays, whatever? Yeah, Amen. In in Christ, we're supposed to anticipate. We're supposed to be looking forward to, to new things. And obviously, when we come into, uh, into our Advent series, we do that. Emmanuel, God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the thought. Isn't it amazing that God would want to come and be a part of us, be with us? And I, have you ever wondered, what must have been the, what, what would be the challenge of being a part of Jesus' family? You ever thought about that? I, I can imagine what it would be in that family. Now, I have a friend of mine who kind of gave, well, not a friend of mine, he's not a personal friend, but I was watching this and I thought, yeah, this is a pretty good, maybe a thought process of what would it be like being in Jesus' family? So, you want to put this on there? That's hopefully it'll work. Here we go. I like reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible, found out, uh, found out Jesus had a little brother. Anybody know his name? James, when I read that, I was like, how much pressure was that? (laughs) Jesus, your big brother? How many times do you have to hear, why come you can't be more like Jesus, James? (laughs) Did you know everybody probably thought that James could do the same thing Jesus could do, but he couldn't. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. Remember the wedding banquet? Jesus turned water into wine. Everybody was amazed, but they don't tell you about the next banquet. Jesus left early. They started running out of wine. Everybody looked at James. <laughs> it's like, man, last time this happened, your brother made some wine, dude. You, you just gonna stand there with your sandals on? You're not gonna... <laughs> then you make some Kool-Aid or something, man? You're not gonna do <laughs> You know James had problems just like any other kid had problems. He tried to follow his big brother around. So everywhere Jesus went, James followed him. That's what little brothers do. So if Jesus went there, so did James. I bet one time James almost drowned. <laughs> oh, you just got that joke just now, didn't you? Jesus walked on water and James tried to make this one. I'm sure James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems. And his parents, especially his, his mom, was trying to throw him a bone once in a while. They'd pray over their food. They're like, Lord, we just thank you for this food. In James' name. James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems, and you know what they would say? He'd be like, well, what would Jesus do, you know? <laughs> then they gave him a bracelet. They gave him a bracelet, and um, <laughs> then he started selling those bracelets, you know? <laughs> Made some money selling bracelets. What would be cool is a what would James do bracelet, right? Same initials, different meaning. Completely different meaning. You're driving down the street, you get cut off in traffic. 
You fuss him out, your pastor's gonna be like, yo, you gotta, what would Jesus do bracing on? You're like, uh uh-uh, uh, that's what would James do. <laughs> Driving an imaginary car for a long time, isn't it? Also found out when Jesus was 12 years old, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. They lost Jesus. And you know the first thing they had to do was pray. I wonder what that prayer must have sounded like. Joseph probably did the prayer. He was like, oh, God. Dear God, um, oh, forgiving God. Um, You remember that Messiah you gave us? You got another one somewhere, man? That was the only begotten son? Okay, we're going to find him. We're going to find him. Anyway. Yeah, it's... uh, I love that what Michael... uh, Junior sharing. It's a funny way of imagining the dynamics of being the brother to Jesus and being a part of God's family. Uh, why can't you be more like Jesus? The question, you know, his mom would say to James. Now, we're all called into the family and we all play a part of being the, the body of Christ. And that's what we were talking about. What's your part? Uh, who did God create you to be and how do you do it? Uh, we just finished our series, uh, To Be or Not to Be the Church. And if you missed the messages, please look at them. This, this to us was really what we felt like the Lord challenging us, to how God is wanting us to become or be the church. And uh, Aaron did the last uh, wrap-up last week, which was being called, called to love together, loving together. Now, I'm doing like a part two, so this is really, we are in the Christmas series. This is a wrap-up of the wrap-up, so here we go. We get double wrapping. Here we go. So, today, what I want to do, though, is I want to come to the question that Brian Creary asked us two weeks ago, because he was talking about praying together, and he talked about how each church, each part of us have a, a certain identity, who, and he said, who do you think you are? Brian just said this one question, and something went in my spirit like, that is profound. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm hoping that this morning as we look through Scripture, we can unpack this a little bit. So please open your Bible to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 11. The verses will be up on the screen, so you can follow along if you want, but please open your Bible. That way you can read... Check it out as well. So let's, let's read together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we have, what, we, what will be, has not yet appeared And we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 
Now, no one abides in him, keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning, has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In these portions, John is writing to the church, the Apostle John, the beloved, the one who loved Jesus. And in fact, I, I think about it when he said the one that, you know, when we talk about at the last, ta- or the, at the last Supper, he snuggled up to Jesus and was, was the one that Jesus would confide in. Who's the one that will betray you? That sort of thing. And John, the Apostle John, is addressing the church because John was an eyewitness to Jesus. He spent time with him. He ate with him. He saw the miracles. He saw how he died and also his resurrection. And the reality is that Jesus coming into this earth as a baby and then through the cross, John understood that we now are adopted and brought into the family of God. John understood this concept of adoption really well because even on the cross, Jesus turns to John and says, John, this is now your mother. And what happens is John takes care of Mary. All of a sudden, even at the cross, this idea of adoption happens. And John understood it. And so what I love about it, it's not a, as we talk about being in the family, it's not about what would James do or what would Norm do, but it's about what's, what's, the father love, what's Father's love doing in me? How does the Father's love transform me, actually? And it transforms James or Norm. John is attempting to bring this truth into the church because salvation is not just about information. And it's not, it's, it's not just about hearing about something. It's about transformation. What kind of love has the Father given to us? That's the question. If one knows this, they can answer, who do you think you are? So how do we allow God's love, how do we allow him to transform us to know who we are in him. So we're going to do a couple things. We need to identify. It's like identifying makes it so if you have this, understanding this is a result. Okay, so here we go. What do we need to do? We first start by identifying who God is. See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. I was really amazed. I really appreciate the worship team this morning because as they're worshiping, how many songs were we singing about God's love? All the songs, which we did not coordinate this. You know we were preaching the right message when you were singing it beforehand, prophetically going, okay, who is God? God, you love me. You love me, you love me. You were singing it. In fact, one of the songs is, is amazing. The one, Oh, How He Loves Me, That's, the history for that song is pretty crazy. 
What it was, it was a youth pastor who, who said this. He was, he was wanting his youth group to be changed. He was kind of doing youth, and, and he said, you know, I want them to be impassionately in love with you, Jesus. I'm so wanting my kids, these kids, to know you and love you. Lord, I will do anything that they would come to know you. And he was praying this as he was praying it to our youth group, or his youth group. And then what happened was he actually was, he was, he died. He had a horrible accident. And what happened was the result of this is the youth then, that was the, one of the kids wrote that song. The song that we sang, he is jealous for me, love like a hurricane, oh how he loves me, was, and what happened is their youth group just exploded because out of this, that youth pastor's prayer, God, may they know you and love you, came to be. Who is God? God is, well, who, God is, see how much the Father's loved us, for we are called his children, and that is who we are. And John makes this correlation in the first verse. We are his children. This is our identity, who we are, are we? It's important because often our challenge is not knowing we are loved, that's information, but it's knowing our identity, transformation. You can go and tell somebody down the street, God loves you. And they simply go, oh, thank you. That's awesome. That is simple information. They have not understood the power to that word which transforms us. That's the point. And what I love, I want to express this because in any time in our culture, this needs to be addressed, this topic of identity. Because in these days, did you know that we are battling this thing called relativism? Relativism in, in actually in our identity. It's based on lies about who we are. In other words, if you feel this way, that's who you are. Did you know that there is a subtle move that's happening in our culture that if you feel this way, you can be this now or identify with this? There, there literally is this onslaught that is happening that goes, we're going we're gonna to really mess up with what is identity by what you feel. And that's who you are. But Jesus, when talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, you need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Which means, Nicodemus, you need to have a new identity. Not because of anything metaphysical or psychological, but completely spiritual. Because Nicodemus is going, what do you mean? I have to enter my mother's womb? I have to, have to go back? How, how do you, what do you mean being born again? He had no grid for this. And I actually believe that most of our culture have no grid what it means to be born again. But I even wonder, what does it mean for me as a Christian to be born again? Because that's, that's what Jesus was trying to introduce, trying to sh- share with you. You must be born again to enter the kingdom. And then, this is why John says in, in 1 John chapter 3, the reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. The world does not recognize us because they don't know him. If they knew who God was, they, he, they would know his children because of who God is. Well, who is God? If you were to describe in one word or one phrase, what would you use? John actually used it in this passage. 
What would you use? I'm going to ask you, what, do you, what, what phrase would you use? What do you think? How would you describe God? Loving? Good. What else? Almighty. Yeah? That's not, it's actually not the phrase that he uses in John uses. One phrase to describe God. Love. It's start right there. See how much our Father loves us. He uses one word to describe God, Father. And he wants to use that as a correlation because often when we say describe God, almighty power, sovereign, good, but we just go, and we go, you know, incredible, amazing, cosmic, boom, and we go, and Jesus said, Father. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, sorry. Opposite. He comes and says, I'm going to tell you the best way to describe its father. And that is wild because when you think that through, it's not wrong to say he's loving and powerful and, 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 and all those. It's not wrong. But what's the best way to describe him? Well, uh, identifying this is important. It's, if you're to ask me father, let me ask you, but what kind of father? Because if it's identifying who God is, and John says, Father, the next thing is important to go, well, what kind of father? And, and Aaron actually alluded to this last week. Well, it is identifying that God is good. God is good. And the best way we see God described as good is when God is actually talking with Moses in Exodus 33, 14 and 19. Because when you say, Father... Okay, what kind of father are you talking about? Good. Okay, why would you say good? Well, John, this is the way God describes himself. In Exodus 33, what happened was this. In the previous chapter, 32, well, we'll even go a little bit back to that. God had delivered the Israelites, brought them to Mount Sinai, and then, God, and then Moses goes up the mountain. He makes the Ten Commandments. Love God, love, your pe- love people, love everyone else. That's the commandments. He brings the commandments down to them. And he says, okay, by the way, I'm going to go back up. So the, the people knew, first commandment, you shall make no other gods before me. They knew that. Moses goes back up and starts getting the rest of the stuff of how to build the temple and stuff like that. By Exodus 32, 32 what happens is this. God suddenly says, well, Wait a minute, Moses, something's going wrong. While you've been up here, the people down have made an idol. They have now made a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. And so Moses books it down, and he's like, what do you got? In fact, he takes the tablets, he smashes them. I can't believe it, I've only been gone for a little while, and you guys have already messed up rule number one. And so Moses then goes back up the mountain in 33 after he, he shares them. And he goes back up. And, and this is the dialogue because he's like, God, uh, don't, don't send us from here if you don't go with us. Don't, don't let us leave unless your presence goes with us. And this is what God says to Moses. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you have looked favor upon me, and on me and on these people, if you don't go with us? 
See, God, I, I don't want just that you're, you, I hear that you love. I want your presence. I want you to be with us. Nobody will know that we're even with, that we have, that you're alive if, unless your presence is with us. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. He says that about all of us. And Moses responds, this is neat. Moses says, then show me your glory. Show me then. I want to see you. I want to see what you're like then. And this is what God's response to Moses saying, I want to see your glory. We would think glory, like all of a sudden this wonderful, amazing uh, light come in or fire. What would glory look like? Well, God describes his glory. He says, and I will let all my goodness pass before you. Glory suddenly is, I'm going to let you see my goodness. You want to describe me? I am absolutely pure good. There is no evil at all in me. And Moses, you say you want to see my glory. You want to see everything? I'm going to show you my goodness. And in fact, when I think about that, I go, that was the absolute a desire they say, I just want you, and what, what, how, all that I ha- you have, Lord, I want you. And he goes, Good, I'm going to give you my goodness, not my power. But your the goodness, like if you want to know God's power, you have to understand His goodness, His forgiveness. Well, it comes from goodness. You see, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10, this is when Paul is trying to reveal what God has done for us, who God is. And he says, But as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. In other words, he's going, you have no idea how good God is and what he's trying to prepare for us, what he wants to do in us, the good things he wants. You have, we have no idea what he's preparing. And sometimes I think, well, that's in heaven, right? And he's like, no, no. What about today? What about now? Do you actually, God, have good things even now? When you understand that, you get a sense of purpose, destiny. Lord, what good things do you have for me this day? See, it transformed me. It's not about, oh, I know he loves me. No, what good things? Because you're a good God. What are you trying to invoke in me? What, are you, what things are you doing in this good that you are? And this is what I'm starting to realize is I know God is love and I know it, but do I believe he is good? Because if I believe it, it actually transforms and changes everything. Do you know why I pray for things and actually believe in miracles? Because I believe God is good. I was sharing the same concept with, uh, uh, with Caleb. We were at uh, an assembly, and Caleb was, he's, he actually got an injury. He got a, a double dislocation in his elbow. So you can put one-arm dr- one drummer up there. 
And I said, Caleb, we're going to pray for you. I know you always, we, people pray for you. But do you ever have this feeling like, ah, yeah, people have been praying, but it's not, ugh, nothing's going to happen. Do you ever get that? And I'm like, God is good. Let's pray. And then guess what happens? This over, you know, you see him at basketball and he's still got a sling. And I'm like, let's pray, Caleb. Because God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. So we pray. The next time I come out to see him basketball, I'm like, look at him, he doesn't have a sling on. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, it's feeling better. Because God is good. Not dependent on what I feel or the experience that I see. Is he simply good? And I dictate my prayers, my life, not because, oh, I guess it's the Lord's will. You're going to have to be all banged up. No, I can press because I believe in his goodness. Yes, I believe in the will of God. Yes, I believe that we can ask, but we can ask because he is good. God so loves you and I. It changes actually how you think. It changes how I approach, how I even see people who need the Lord, who don't understand his goodness. You know, in my story, it's this. Um, I share with you, I grew up, uh, my grandma or my mom grew up in a Jehovah's Witness home and she, like most, started to look for love. And in fact, my mom decided to marry at the age of 16. Uh, and my father that she married was a full-blooded Cree and his, his mother was a full-blooded Cree and his father was three quarters. So he was full status, First Nations. But if I was to be really honest with you, I don't have a lot of memory of my dad and... It was the, the last time I saw him, I was actually five years old. I was reunited with him when I was 36. Because my dad grew up in a broken home, and he had 11 brothers and sisters from several different fathers. And after a few years of marriage, my father, like his father before him, and most of his brothers, became an alcoholic. And with the alcoholism came abuse. And I was way too young to know the time, all the pain that my family was going through, but it was when I was three years old, my mom had to leave my dad to go to the Yukon to live with my aunt and uncle. So growing up, I had no idea what it means to even have a father. My mom remarried, and, I got a, and, I, and she married a, a, and my new dad, who, was, who loved me, and it was an adopted dad, but still, there was something inside that said, that was always kind of, Okay, uh, how, if you were to tell me God is your father, I would have some challenges. But when I became a Christian, the first thing the Lord did was heal me and renew my mind. It was when I was taught God is my perfect heavenly father. He loves me. And that God is not like a man. He doesn't, he doesn't lie in Numbers uh, chapter, or actually Romans chapter 8 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. So when you pray, you're praying to a good father. And as I said, God is not like a man. Numbers 23, 19 God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that, we should change, that he should change his mind. So to, today to experience his goodness, I have to believe in that healing. I have to believe that miracles and things happen because he is good. 
And with that comes this other, it's identifying his good, but it's not just good, it's un, God is unconditionally love. It's, it's an unconditional love that isn't just good, it's favor that you can't, you, you can't reach for, you don't deserve it. Have you ever doubted that God loves you? Be honest. Have you ever doubted that? Thank you. I'm glad that we... Because when I, when I do this, most people would never admit I have sometimes doubted that God loves me. Because, well, we know he loves me. But the reality is, when things happen, when experiences happen, that actually plays a part. And I think about this because my... I think... Nikki and I had this experience when we were like, no, we were in ministry, and it happened in 2012. Loving the Lord, serving Jesus, doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden in 2012, uh, her sister had committed suicide. And it was probably the most challenging thing because we were praying, praying for her. How, God, can you heal and deliver and do all this stuff? And then all of a sudden she took her life. And I said, and I remember us, Nikki and I, in the honesty of going, God, it's like you're, where are you? I don't even know if you exist right now. So you would never believe that, oh, you're, are you allowed to say that? No, I think that in our heart, when you hit things, suddenly the reality is, is God good? And is his love based on conditions? Because I remember having this conversation with the Lord, like, Lord, we've been serving you, we've been doing this, why did this happen? Don't I deserve... da 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 But this is, look at Jesus' final prayer for you and I before the cross. In John 17, it's Jesus' last will and testament. This is his prayer for us. And it describes God, his, his heart for you and I. Jesus praying in John chapter 17, he says, in verse 20, he says, I'm praying not only for, those, for these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. I pray that they will all be one. One. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us so the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you've given me so that they may be one as we are one. Now think about it. I have given them the glory which in Exodus was all of God's goodness that they could be one. You ever have somebody say, I just can't love that person? Especially, I find it interesting, I've actually heard that sometimes in church, person goes, oh man, that guy drives me nuts, or that person, oh, I can't handle them. You ever have that? My wife says it to me all the time. Anyway, I won't go over there. Just joking, I'm joking. No, what happens is this, is, is we think, oh, we can't, but God's saying, Jesus is saying in, in John, he goes, all of my, I've given them all of my glory, all my goodness, so that they can be one. You see, when I say that, I actually have no excuse that I can say, oh, I don't like this person, I don't, because what I'm actually doing is denying God's goodness. Did he give me all his goodness? The ability to love. When I'm saying, oh, church is so frustrating, or I got this people, ah, when I get so angst about stuff, God's going, I have given you all my goodness so that you can be one. We actually have no excuse unless you are not allowing Jesus' goodness in you. 
I've given them all my glory. That's crazy. Jesus just dumped the most unconditional love on us, all of his goodness on you and I. And then he says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be where I am. Then they may see the glory you've given me because you love me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed to them to them. To, I revealed you that them, you to them. Anyway, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. This is the greatest prayer and revelation of what was accomplished on the cross. That we can be one with God, and we can experience His love. That the same love that the Father has for Jesus. He has for you and I. See, this is what we're talking about. Experiencing Father's love that changes and transforms us because it's, it's totally unconditional. And see, the thing is, fathers give us identity and significance and they provide the proper lens. They bring correction. And I, I honestly... I've been praying, Lord, can you take us to understand that love and more? And that's why Aaron, I felt last week, he hit the nail on the head, that we would know the love, depth, white, height, breadth, wet, wet, whatever, how big God's love is. That's my prayer. If Aaron and I were sitting and say, what we need to be praying for is, God, can you consume us with your love? Can you keep consuming us? Can you keep? Can you take us deeper? I think we have a head knowledge, but if we actually were receiving the Father's love, it changes Now, some of us, we have major hurdles to work through. Because, again, if you you synchronize like I do with my dad, I I sometimes had to think, well, of of circumstances and situations. Like even when Nikki's sister passed away, look, God, look what happened. But God is not like that. God is not like my dad. He's not like any other earthly father. If If you give an example, if you maybe had an absent father. See, Aaron touched on this, but I'm just going to unpack it a little bit more. This, if you had an absent father, it might have been that because of death or divorce or whatever, that just the result of those feelings, that psychologists actually say this, that, that you can actually get feelings of rejection and abandonment. And actually the result of having a father that is gone, most often people with that have problems trusting and they have problems actually, in fact, trusting God that he'll be there for them. Or maybe you've grown up with a passive father. It's a father that is not responsive or involved. He's unemotional or withdrawn. This can result in hidden anger and finding it difficult to touch with, get in touch with emotions or receiving love. Or maybe you had a performance-oriented father, has high expectations, not balanced enough by love. A father that pointed out faults and failures, and love and affirmation expressed only when you perform well. Truth is valued above love. When you have that, you can feel like you never do anything right. 
Maybe you had an authoritarian father, strict and lives by the rules. Obedience is valued above relationship. This can result in deep anger or loss of motivation. You can start seeing God as watching to make sure you obey. And it's really hard to actually relate to God in that. And ultimately, what if you had an abusive father, inflicted physical or emotional, verbal or even sexual abuse on on family members? That one's hard because it it, it develops great inner pain, fear and insecurity. And that one, when you feel like something has happened, really makes you say, is God? Where is God? Or maybe you're just like my boys. You just got a good father. Maybe you've had a good father that pours out affirmation, love, and encouragement in concrete ways, even in discipline. You had a good father who was proud of his children and initiates relationship. But even that good father, as Jesus said, isn't the good father. All he can do is point to the best father. And he's still not like God. He can't be everywhere. He can't see everything. Doesn't know everything, despite popular opinion. Can't tell you what the future does. But you do have a father that does. So how do we allow God's love to transform us? It's when we identify who God is. And Sydney, I'm just going to close there. You want to shut her down. As we come into this Christmas season, we were asking, who do you think you are? And I, I pray that you would... Aaron was alluding to it, that something happens in us that we feel God's love in such a way that it transforms us. As Carolyn was saying about EAL and talking about why on earth would we ever... Because when you get God's heart, it changes you. In fact, it changes you so much that even when you feel like you're sinning, even if you continue to sin, as which John talks about, it want, you don't want to live that way. And you know what? This is the most frustrating part is we often are very disobedient because God's telling us to do something, but we don't do it because we're afraid. We're so afraid of what will happen or rejection or this. And then I go, you're missing out on his goodness. In fact, that's the beauty of it is when I actually experience that goodness, it changes me. Helps me to take risks. Helps me to believe. Helps me to go and say, man, I want to share this with the world. This morning, I don't know where you are. I, I, I don't know if maybe, if God is bringing up just saying, listen, I'm not like any earthly father. I had a prayer last week and I said, as Aaron got up and shared, it was a beautiful message. Please listen to it because this is the part two. God, take us to a revelation of what does it mean to be one with you and to have the same love that is Jesus has in us. And something is stirring me. It's like a, 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 I'm not happy with anything less. Amen? Let's pray. And ask the worship team to come on up. So, Father, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for, oh, how you love us. 
And you are jealous for us, Lord. Love like a hurricane. I am a tree. Bending beneath the waves and winds of your mercy. Lord, I know that we need your love to help change us and transform us. God, I pray that it would just not be another, yes, I heard about the love of God. Lord, I want to ask that if there's something blocking us from actually receiving, I want to ask for healing. I want to pray you do the same thing you did with me. Renew my mind. Renew our minds. Lord, I thank you for the fathers, people that, Lord, are trying to show your love to this world. We want to be that. We want, but we are still just dust. Lord, I pray that this church, us, would be conduits for more of your love. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.